Hey folks, welcome back to the DC3 cast. My name is Brian. Me as always is Vince. This is our last duo show for a while. Zach will be back next week, confirmed. And so uh this is the last time that Vince has to put up with me. He'll he will then go back to being uh Zach's buddy, and the two of them will fight against me with all of my correct opinions, but that's okay. Uh, I'm not gonna talk to Zach for a while, I think. <laughs> You're just gonna give him the cold shoulder for a bit? I I think for, for yes, for having the temerity to go and have a child on us, I think. I mean, I at least had the good sense to have kids before you guys really knew me very well. Right. So, you know, it, did, it didn't upset the apple card, right? Uh, my, my life was already predictable by the time my kids showed up. So. Yeah, your grandfathered in. Exactly, yeah. So to speak. So, father, so to speak, yes, exactly. Um, but so we, ha- we have uh, an interesting group of books to talk about today. I think that you and I are going to agree on some stuff and disagree on some stuff. Um, wow, what what a prediction! Well, n- there's one thing in particular I think that I'm gonna eat up with a spoon, and you're gonna roll your eyes at. They should make you the new Swami on ESPN for the <laughs> would, for the football shows. I would be just as successful as that guy. <laughs> so, no. What 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 I what I meant to say was I think that there's going to be things that you would think we'd be in alignment on, but maybe we're not. Okay, we'll I'm, I'm see. Just, I'm just putting a tease out there for the listeners, man. We got we got to get engagement up, you know. So just trying to get people to uh, to have we, we did a little will they won't they type uh, type chemistry here. So mm. yeah, just just like Sam and Diane and what's their names on Moonlighting. So yeah. Yeah. all right, well let's let's kick it off with Catwoman number thirty two, written by Rom V, illustrated by Evan Cagle or Cagle. Have we ever seen his work before? He seems like a, a new face on the scene to me. Um, we've not seen him on interiors at DC. I can tell you where I've seen him. Tell me where you've seen him. Um, I've seen him do covers for uh, Witcher books and um, Dune and the Dune comics. Oh I think. yes, okay. I've yes, okay. That which tracks. is yeah, which is which is crazy because I I mean. I don't know if he's ever done interiors for a major publisher. I'm sure. I'm sure he's done like uh, creator owned or like self published stuff. I have to imagine, mm-hmm. uh, but I can't say I I could name or or have de- certainly not read anything that had his interiors. Um, but this this stuff is very reminiscent of his his covers. Very moody. Very um, heavily shaded um, sort of thing. Yeah, I, I would say that you know he he's certainly not a clone of Fernando Blanco, but I think that the styles are somewhat complementary. So it didn't feel too jarring to go from one art to the one artist to the other. Uh, would you agree with that? That it's sort of a good fit for a Blanco villain. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, without yeah, without really looking like Blanco at all, but like, yeah, definitely good work. Definitely appreciated and like nails the nails the style of the characters and the the sort of design work that we've seen before mm-hmm. now as much as i enjoyed the art i have to say this might be my least favorite script of the infinite frontier catwoman era just because i feel like we have seen a lot of stories pretty much just like this sort of trying to get to the bottom of like 
who is Selena Kyle? What makes her tick? I feel like that there's nothing new in in that type of a story, and that's what we get um, here. I also feel like while these flashbacks maybe give somebody who hasn't been reading Catwoman comics for a long time a better sense of who she is, I don't know if there's anything that we learned in these in this issue that was new in any way. I don't know. I just, this just felt this just felt very um, treading water ish to me. Just not doing a lot of new stuff. Uh, did you agree? Disagree? What's it? Oh for, no, for sure. It's yeah. That's exactly what this is. This feels like you know. I I, I hate to say this because it's like. Um, I know creators uh, don't like when when critics say this because we're presuming things, but it really does feel like a filler issue where, uh, you know, Rom V is kind of playing for time a bit. Um, I, I, I'm not saying that's what it is. That's just what it feels like. It feels like one of those issues where they say like, okay, we've got a. Uh, Filler artist who, who by the way, is quite good. This art is is really good, really a, a treat to read. So it's not like filler art in the sense that, um, you know, it's a step down or anything. It's just not the regular artist we've been seeing. And then and then they're paired with a story that is, in no small part, like a look back at things. And to me, that always reads like. A play for time or you know we needed to, we needed to pad this out for whatever reason you know mm-hmm. um that said I, I ram v is a good writer and so even when he's doing like uh yeoman's work like this it still reads pretty well but you're right there's not a single new bit of information in here it's really like who who is uh, Selena Kyle filtered through these three people from her past who know her, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, there's some stuff that he does thematically to com- compare and contrast the way that these different people experience life with Selena. That's you know a little interesting, but certainly not new. It's just it's just classic ideas about Catwoman sort of repackaged. I think. Um, and yeah, so like as somebody who's read tons and tons of Batman and Catwoman and Gotham centric comics, this is just another, you know, aside from the art, which was really, really nice and nice to see a new name, um, nothing to really write home about, you know? And that bums me out to say, because like you said, the art was really enjoyable and, you know, comics aren't just plot vehicles, right? We we want our comics to do things that are different than just get us from point A to point B in a story in the least time possible. I want stories that take their time and unfold and show us new things, but just there's nothing about this that really does that. And I wish there was because I wanted to enjoy this art even more, but sometimes you pick up a comic and you can tell within the first five minutes of your reading it that it's just nothing's going to happen in this issue. And you can <laughs> yeah. almost tell from the first page turn here that nothing's going to happen in this issue. Yeah. You can almost tell from the title of the, from the subtitle of the issue, which was, which was, uh, hang on. 
everything you know about Selena Kyle. <laughs> <laughs> but like, we're afraid to ask. Like, what the fuck? Yeah, yep. <laughs> right. <Ooh. laughs> um, in, in, in light of today's uh, news, I would... Uh... I wonder if there's uh, anything else we don't know about Selena Kyle and Bruce's relationship, huh? <laughs> Am I right? Am I right? Uh, Wild is, stuff. We're just not. We're just not going to say what it is. Of course, it's going to date the episode. Yep, exactly. In fact, people who aren't extremely online won't even Have know. No what idea. We're exactly. Yes. This is just for Jeremy <laughs> to uh, nod his head knowingly to on Wednesday morning. <laughs> All right. Let's move on to The Flash, number 771, written by Jeremy Adams, illustrated by, deep breath here, Kevin McGuire, yeah. Howard Porter, Barat Peck, uh, Peck Mesky, Brian Hitch, Max Rayner, Scott Collins, Tom Derenick, Fernando Pissarin, Eau Claire Albert, and Brandon Peterson. Now, I'm going to guess, Vince, that you did not like this issue. I thought that this is what you were talking about when you gave that little preamble, uh-huh. and Brian... I loved this issue. Oh, good. I can still love I, you. Okay, good. <laughs> I absolutely <laughs> loved it. For, let's get this out of the way. The Anytime cover fucking have... sucks. Well, yes. <laughs> and yes. It, it teases something that should have been a last page reveal that instead is blown on the cover for no apparent reason. Yeah. <laughs> and with a Brett fucking Booth variant, too. I mean, come on. <laughs> I saw that and I was like, whoa, what? Like, what year is this? Even though, like, it would have been not out of place last year, <laughs> right? Um, yeah, exactly. Still, yeah, right. Yeah, I oh, I hate when DC does that. It's it's really bad. It's terrible. Um, the the last but, page reveal. I'm sorry to interrupt you. Would have yeah. been. Like, I I I understand that I don't want to revisit that story at all, but I think that it's setting up an interesting way to revisit that story. And it would have been a really engaging way to end the issue on a cliffhanger. But when it's on the cover. It just totally kills that momentum. Yeah, you're just you you know you know exactly where the issue's gonna end, especially especially with the way it plays out, because like the point of having all these different artists on the issue is that you you do see Wally leap from uh person to person and era to era. It's not just, you know, last issue teased at the end that we were gonna get a Kevin McGuire take on the uh <clears throat> Super Friends Legion of Doom uh cartoon stuff and you know that takes up a good chunk of the beginning of this issue but having all these artists on there serves to send wally to all these different eras and so as soon as you see that happening you know exactly what the last page is going to be thanks to the goddamn cover so (laughs) so yes yes aside from that i love this issue that is uh a great sin of comics these days though um just in general you know um that said, like, you know, and when I when I did see all the artists on here, I was a little worried at first because, you know, I tend to we've talked about it on the show. We've talked about it with this book. Um, when you see that many artists or you see, you know, even just two or three on the same issue, it always throws up kind of a red flag. You know, it's it's like, well, why, you know. Part of this is going to feel like it's from a different comic, probably because we're we're you're having an artist do some fill-in work. Maybe the other artist wasn't on time, whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it can feel patchwork. This felt very deliberate, you know. Um, the the choices being made here were choices out of, uh, you know, a more or less artistically driven thinking, you know. Mm-hmm. 
hey, we're going to have Wally uh, in the Super Friends era. Let's get this artist to do that. Hey, we're going to have Wally as um, in in Jay West's body in the future. We're going to show Wally in as uh, Max Mercury. Max, yeah, yeah, I was just going to say Max Mercury in the past. You get your requisite Brian Hitch JSA. Uh, yep era page you know it just it just makes sense right uh for this type of story and i gotta say like there was some there was some truly funny stuff in this issue like the legion of doom stuff was very funny it was yes um the michael holt uh getting a call from linda park like yelling about you know get my husband back or whatever (laughs) like very very shticky very like sitcom humor but you know, it's kind of fun to see for at least a little bit superheroes in that element, right? Um, and then the the stuff with the Jay and Irie, that bit where Wally inhabits Jay's body, it's like there were some legitimately like uh, beautiful moments there. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I was looking for a different word, but beautiful works. Yeah, feel feels lots yeah. of feels. Yeah, exactly. Touching. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, that yeah. was a great bit. And I not only was it touching, but also I liked how playful it was with the whole like, oh, yeah, I'm not going to ruin that for you, Dad, because like you'll, <laughs> right. part of the fun will be experiencing it in 20 years or whatever. Um, and and yeah, just great little bits like that, too. Man, yeah. this was good. Yeah, so I thought that you weren't going to enjoy the bouncing around with artists because of our previous conversation you just had about, you know, yeah. About not enjoying that. And, and look, I'm not a huge fan of that either, but I thought this was handled really well. I I always enjoy watching Kevin Maguire do his thing. And having Maguire operate in this particular milieu is fantastic. Just so much fun. I would read a Kevin Maguire illustrated Super Friends series every day of the week and twice on Sundays. You know, that's that's just that's my shit. So I am I'm all for that. I thought that the emotional beats of the Jay and Irie conversation was really good. I mean, some of that stuff was was very touching. It, it also threw in a little bit of the the classic time travel, like can't tell you that yet, Dad. But and you have to throw out those sorts of little. If if you're operating in such a clear time travel trope, you can't avoid you know say hi to the princesses for me. Who you'll see, you know, you, you, you kind of have to throw in things like that because it's just what you do, right? And you know, Brian Hitch drawing Wally as Liberty Bell and all of that, you know, it was a little bit hokey, it was a little bit expected, but it worked for the most part. Mm-hmm. I loved some of the like, just the ballsy things that 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 are established in this issue. Like, I don't think that Jeremy Adams has gotten enough credit just sort of online for how good this run has been from a writing perspective because we have felt down on a lot of the art choices. But there are some bonkers things here. What is that, like, moon or star in the sky with a Flash logo lightning bolt ring around it that's introduced in the future? <laughs> like, I want I want to know all about that, you know? Mm-hmm. Um I think that the the ending throwing Wally into Heroes in Crisis, 
I mean, look, nobody again, nobody wants to revisit that less than me. I think it's really interesting that DC is even letting them do this because I don't see how you can revisit Heroes in Crisis and not do so with a with a critical eye. Right? Yeah. They they can't just make this a straight up revisiting of that story, can they? I mean, doesn't it kind of feel like they're going to undo it? <laughs> well, that that was that was the question I wanted to spend some time with today. So yeah. we know we know from Infinite Frontier number 0 that Roy Harper is back, right? We don't know why he came back or how he came back. Could it be that Wally is going to undo all those actions and save all those people? I'm I'm thinking that's yeah, I'm thinking that's exactly it. I mean, how do you feel about them just so blatantly <laughs> retconning it? Great. I, me do. too. I mean, honestly, I feel fine about it. <laughs> I, I, I don't like the precedent this sets necessarily. Uh, uh, kind of like the Snyder Cut thing, you know, where you, you don't want to let people get away with too much because you want to make sure that other creators don't have their work just totally undone. I mean, you know, it, this is essentially... J.J. Abrams undoing The Last yeah. Jedi, except that The Last Jedi was good, and J.J. Abrams did shitty things to Star Wars. You know? I was just going to say that exact... I was going to make that exact thing. I was okay. going to say, like, this is like if, you know, this is like The Last Jedi, except The Last Jedi was the thing that was good. Yeah. And, <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, I, I'm sure we're going to get some emails about that. <laughs> so, no. Nobody well, has, has minor will. thoughts on that movie. Um, that's it's good. good. It is. It's great. Stop it's, listening it, to the show if you don't think the Last Jedi's good. Yeah. In if fact, you, don't listen at all. All of you. No, that that's not good. Let's keep let's keep our <laughs> listeners out there. Okay. Okay, Vincey. Some some of us are trying to transition into this as a career. So uh, oh, like, uh. please uh, please help. Um, but yeah. So the um, you know, the idea of of retconning Heroes in Crisis. I think it's kind of wild that something that big would happen within the pages of the Flash. Because we're already seeing through Roy Harper that this is going to be a big deal. That Roy coming back is not just like a, and he's going to take up a spot on the Titans and we're not going to have to think about a Roy Harper story for a while. Like, it seems like Roy's going to be a pretty big player going forward. And so this is a major change to the DCU and it's thrown, no disrespect to the Flash, but kind of just in a, in an issue of the Flash that I don't know that many people are talking about. Yeah. So, well, I don't know that many people are talking about many DC comics lately. Um, that's that's something Zach brought up in Lad's chat, and I think when we have him on the show, I, I'd like to just kick that idea around a little bit. So, yeah, can we? Is that something we can do? Yeah, we, we can tease that for next week. Yeah. All right. Uh, any other thoughts on this issue before we move on, move on to the next one? Um, no, it was great. I, I'm. You know, just to circle back to that artist idea, you know, like, do I make sense when I say, like, you know, those earlier issues where they had the art that didn't necessarily complement one another, and it it just it it didn't seem like it was to serve any narrative purpose, you know? No, I I definitely understand that. I mean, I I, I get why they wanted to have Brandon Peterson as the artist for the sort of um. Barry, Michael, Ollie stuff. I understand why you wanted to have a set artist for that that maybe is different 
from the other from the time periods that Wally is jumping into because I think it just it's a nice visual reminder to the audience that things are not as they should be or they're not on the same wavelength or whatever you know um I, I my problem with those artists wasn't that there were other artists on the book it was which artists and the work they were doing yeah mm-hmm I think that's where the difference lays for me. I don't mind that technique. I just minded it because I wasn't a particular fan of the artists that they were pulling out for these for these you know pieces. Yeah. All right. Well, let's um, let's actually take a break right now, and when we return, we'll talk about Nightwing Static Season One and the book Vince can't wait to talk about Supergirl. Hello, we're the hosts of the Multiversity Manga Club podcast. I'm Emily. I'm Zach. And I'm Walter. Each month, we pick a manga to read and discuss among ourselves. Past books include Monster, A Silent Voice, and Pokemon Adventures. We also look back on the past month's installments of Weekly Shonen Jump, discussing the highs and lows from the Viz Anthology. We've even discussed notable manga adaptations like Netflix's Death Note. At the end of each episode, we announce next month's book club pick so you can read along with us. We're always open to suggestions for future books as well. So join us on the first Friday of every month on multiversitycomics.com, Apple Podcasts, or your podcatcher of choice. And we are back with Nightwing number 81, written by Tom Taylor, illustrated by Bruno Redondo. Right off the bat, I just want to mention that when all those boats come in, each of the boats is named after a recent Nightwing creator. So there's a Jurgens, a Sealy. There's uh, somebody missing. I, who is missing? <laughs> hmm. Who's missing? Can you give me a hint? Um. Yeah, he's he was awful. <laughs> <laughs> give me another hint. Um. He wrote uh way too many of the new fifty two books. I'm still wait, I'm still having a hard time here. Are you talking about a guy who um may or may not have had some sexual impropriety? <laughs> yeah, yeah. A guy who's who's more known for for dealing with another member of the Bat family though, right? Oh, yes. Okay. I think I got who you're talking about, but I'm just fucking with you. I know exactly who you meant the whole time. I just wanted to get you to say his name on the podcast. Um uh, no, never again. Yeah. Um anyway, so, um, what did you think of this issue, my friend? Um, I liked it as much as I've been liking this uh, book since Tom Taylor took over, which is to say, um, pretty, pretty, pretty good. Um, uh, but not super great, if that makes sense. I think there's just, there, there's a lot of heart here. There's something left to be desired plot-wise, and I don't know how I feel about the the whole... I mean, we'll get to it. We'll talk more about it. But, like, the secret family history thing that's revealed at the end. Like, okay. I hate that All right. shit. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you didn't have that stuff, you couldn't have 80 years of DC Comics, you know? You couldn't... Like, that is a staple of long-form storytelling, right? It's bound to happen eventually. I don't think you can like entirely rule it out, but I just feel like, you know, <laughs> I don't know. It's 
it's sillier than this run was looking like it was going to be. That I don't said, know if silly is the word I would use, but okay. I mean, I think it's silly. What like what would you say? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Um I, I would just say it's uh, you know, there's this thing that that I talk about with Star Wars a lot, where one of my problems with Star Wars in general is that the last like 30 years of Star Wars has been about making sure that everybody is connected somehow, that nobody can just be this character who exists out there in the ether. Everybody is someone's cousin or, you know, served with so-and-so in the Clone Wars or whatever. And Mm -hmm. I feel like this is just, it wasn't enough to have this new mayor character of Bloodhaven be the child of the people who, of, of the, crime boss who ordered the death of the Graysons. That wasn't enough of a connection. We had to take it a step further and make it, no, she's actually Dick Grayson's long-lost sister. Like I just, I, I I don't think that anything is gained from that connection. I don't think it changes. It's not like this character is going to become like she's going to rec- realize that her her brother is a good guy and so all of a sudden she's going to leave her life of crime behind her. What this is going to do is this is going to lead to like an exaggeratedly long story with Dick trying to show his sister the error of her ways and her just saying stuff like, you know, I might be a Grayson by blood but I was raised a Zuko or whatever it's going to be. And it's just, you know, it's just going to be interminable. I just I really like this run so far and I think this is not a great decision for the book or for the character in general. Dick Grayson is already the most connected character in DC Comics. I mm-hmm. don't know why we need to keep giving him more people to be connected to. Right. He was Batman's sidekick and took his name after one of Superman's Kryptonian buddies. Like there's just there's already enough there. Yeah. I I agree. That being said, like I think we've said this before on the show, but if I trust any writer to take a bad idea or an idea that sounds bad and make something good out of it, I trust Tom Taylor. Yes. So, you he know. You can hate Jude the situation. Take a, take a sad song make it better. <laughs> yeah. I don't know which way I want to go with that for a joke. But, um, <laughs> but yeah. You know, that aside, this, this was a pretty good issue uh, as per usual. I think the Bruno Redondo fight choreography and visual trickery continues to be fun. Um, the stuff with the dog bite wing or Haley, depending on who you ask, um, is pretty cute. Um, yeah. Do you happen to catch the shirt Babs, Babs was wearing? Um, if I did, I don't remember what what was it. She's wearing like she has like an open kind of blousey shirt, but underneath that, she's wearing a t-shirt with the panel of Batman slapping Robin on it. <laughs> okay, I see that now. I just pulled it up. It's fantastic. Yeah, that's that's great. Yeah, it's yeah, fantastic. stuff like that. It's just yeah, it makes the comic more enjoyable to read if if there's if there's little details that that kind of fill the page like that. Um, I think that Taylor has done a really nice job of making the Dick Babs relationship feel lived in and feel real and not, you know, they've had so many like on again, off again moments. 
it, you, it's, it can be hard to make them feel natural. But I think this has felt very natural. And introducing Tim into that, I think Tim has felt very natural alongside of them. This, this just feels to me how people who are supposedly as close as the Bat family are, this feels like how they would interact with one another. Mm-hmm. And I very much enjoy that. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. And Redondo's art, I mean, especially, like you said, especially his fight choreography, the way that he can take an action sequence, and he's not doing stuff that we've uh, never seen before, but he's doing mm-hmm. stuff that I feel like... He just he just remixes stuff in such a way where it doesn't feel tired or or samey at all. All of his work just pops really really nicely, and uh, yeah, it's such a joy to read his work. Yeah, I mean to to get really specific about that idea, there there's the scene where uh, Dick comes in through the window, and there's that uh, person with the sword waiting for him. The they fight down a flight of stairs, which is something that you know, comics that do this sort of visual fight trickery do all the time, right? It's the, it's the Hawkeye thing. Hawkeye, it's himself didn't even invent it, you know, <laughs> uh, <laughs> speaking as if Hawkeye is the one drawing. I was the just going to say, I didn't realize Hawkeye drew his own comic. Yeah. Yeah. A little, little known fact about what I believe. I believe the characters <laughs> of the comic create the, com- we were okay, just so, watching okay. their story. So you don't believe the comics are real. Like these stories didn't really happen, but the people in the stories create the stories. Correct. So they're yes. creating their own mythology, and then we are just we are just buying it. We're consuming it. Yeah. Okay. Uh, this is Grant Morrison's whole thing. Sure. You know, if you've if you've read Super Gods, you would believe this too. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> also, also, um, Bruce Wayne and Matches Malone are two different people. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Not the same guy. Not the same yep. guy. Just very yeah, similar just go jaw back structures. And, go back and and, yeah. Okay. Go back and read Matches Malone comics. Read them very carefully, and you'll see. They're, he's not Bruce Wayne. Um, <laughs> Dare I say this? Uh, is he JFK Jr.? He's <laughs> he's Gene Parmesan. Uh, there we go. Got me. Um, no, but uh, but so the staircase scene, like yeah, we've seen this same thing. Um, a dozen, dozens of times in comics, right? But it's so good when an artist pulls it off. Um, it's just so satisfying to read, and it flows so well, and it's it's so much more interesting to look at, and it catches your eye more than just like four disconnected panels in an indeterminate amount of time where characters are trading punches or whatever, you know. When it flows like this, this is like the magic of comics, right? <laughs> like this is this is when comics pull off a trick that that no other medium really can. Mm-hmm. Yes, I agree, wholeheartedly. All right, let's talk about Static Season One, written by Vida Ayala, illustrated by Chris Cross. So, um, I had hoped to read a bunch of the Milestone stuff. I, I've read some of it over the years, but I have not read a ton of Milestone stuff recently. And I plan on going back and, and reading the first trades of all of the classic characters to sort of prepare for the relaunch. And life just got in the, got in the way and just it, it didn't happen. So I'm kind of going into this a little bit cold in terms of recent static reading. Um, 
I'm interested to hear what you think of this because there there is some stuff in this I think is really interesting and and could be fun and there's parts of this that are kind of a drag to me so i'm curious to know where you stand on this sure um so i think that this is a perfectly good sort of like entry level mm, like ultimate spider-man introduction reintroduction for this character right like to me to me this is just ayala doing the classic like here's an early day in the life of this high school age character dealing with being a student and being a, a superhero and fairly new to their powers we we again get to see how he got them we get to see his relationships we get to see how he's balancing the 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 superhero work school home family life all of it you know on all those levels it's it's perfectly good um it doesn't attempt to go beyond that and i don't i don't think that's necessarily a problem right like not every comic um, has to try to like redefine the genre or something, right? Sure. And it's it's been a while. Also, it's, it's been a while. Been... <laughs> I haven't listened to comedy bang bang in years. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, it's it's been a while since there's been a book at DC that's really done this. You know, they they that the the bad Blue Beetle book from Keith Giffen that I didn't like <laughs> sort of did this, but it was so annoying, you know, and this isn't annoying at all. Um, but it's not, it's not swinging for the fences. So if, if you know that going in, I, I think you can have a, a pretty good time with it. Um, that's the writing, the art. I also think, I think the art is pretty good. I, I, I like crisscross, the, the one thing I'll say is that, and I I don't I don't think this is necessarily the fault of of the colorist, or maybe just more like beauty is in the eye of the beholder in my case because when I look at Chris Cross's art, I see a black and white manga in there, like I like this story you know from from plot to the visuals to like the, the big shonen style fight at the end with the, like, uh, I can't remember the character's name, but it's like a fire, some fire pun. Yeah. Some, yeah. Some play on the, the word fire, whatever. Um, that whole thing plays out in the like shonen manga style. Right. I think crisscross's art really works on that level. And I think it actually loses something with, uh, with being colored in and being finished where, you know, if I look at it, I can see like a black and white, uh, weekly shonen jump style, uh, story there, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think I would prefer that to what we got visually. So it's very interesting that you say that because my biggest problem with this book and, and the thing that I think will prevent me from thinking back on this issue fondly is I think there are parts of Ayala's script 
and parts of Criss Cross's pencils that feel very playful and fun. But when you look at the comic as a whole, all of that playfulness has been sucked out of it. And I don't know if that's by the coloring or just by Criss Cross's art choices in other places, but it just seems to me like this is a story that was meant to be a lot of fun, and I did not really have fun reading it. Does that make any sense to you? I can see that, yeah. That That's sort of my overwhelming feeling of, of this issue, was just that I didn't... I, I think a, a teenage story, even if it's doing something serious, and you know we'll, we'll talk about this next week when we talk about Teen Titans Academy, I feel like that book has done a good job of telling stories that are serious, but involving young characters, and so adding some, some life, some just some, and I, and I don't necessarily mean humor. I just mean some, you know, just 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 a little bit of, I don't know, it's levity or, just fun is the word I keep looking for. I can come back to just add some fun to it. And this just did not feel fun to me. And if you're looking to reestablish the milestone you know, comics universe as a thing that people are going to be excited about. Once you get past that sort of two-pronged attack here, which is nostalgia, and also just the fact that, you know, I think a lot of us come from a place where we want to support black-owned businesses and want to support the diverse creators and diverse characters. And so I'm going to be supporting these books because I think it's the right thing to do. If I want to support the books because I like them, I need there to be more to chew on than just than I got in this issue and I really think that there's something about what I think you said whether it's the colorist or just some of Chris Cross's choices it just did not feel to me it did not have like you mentioned Ultimate Spider-Man it had none of the winking fun of Ultimate Spider-Man in it to me so I don't know yeah I think I, I understand what you're saying. Yeah, I think you know it's it's probably unfair of me because we're talking about you know traditional DC and Marvel comics, but I feel I feel like this plays better if I feel like this plays better if it's done like that uh, Future State Gotham book where mm-hmm. it's black and white. Maybe even if they split it up into I don't I don't know how these books do or anything but if they split it into like the digital first style where it's like um I believe that's how it's been coming out. Oh really? No, I'm okay. sorry. They changed that. No, it was supposed to be that way. Now it's day and date across like print, digital and on DC Universe Unlimited. Okay. Okay. Well, regardless like I I could see my I think for me it's a it's a matter of formatting. Like if this were, if this exact comic were like split in half, black and white, and in like a Shonen Jump style feel, like I, I think it slots in perfectly right there, as that, uh, and that's maybe not fair to it, but I as as I was reading it, I couldn't help but feel like. Oh, this this should be a black and white shonen manga, uh, yeah, and I and I don't know why, other than it was just giving off those huge vibes. I, and I got those vibes. And, and I usually don't like when like shonen jump stories are colored. They some some of the comics have you know like uh, three or four pages of coloring in mm-hmm. them, 
usually I don't, I don't favor that stuff. <laughs> so I don't know. I think I just like the, for that style, I think I like the, you just prefer the, black the stark and white. black and white. I understand. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. I, and I think like, I think if you look at that final fight in this issue, I feel like that, that fight comes off better if it's in black and white. There's a lot of like digital, there's digital effects and there's digital, digital coloring. Yeah. Yeah. That I just don't. Oh man. I looked at it and I thought like, there's that one panel where the villain is staring him down with like the, very like Vegeta from Dragon Ball Z eyes. And I know you don't get that, Brian, but it's like, it's, you know, it's anime bad guy. The I, I, anime I, I bad can guy follow stare. the context. Thank you. Okay. Yeah. Um, uh, but I just, I looked at that and I thought like, Oh God, this, this belongs in that format. And because of the digital layering over this thing, it just doesn't, it doesn't sing like it should to me like like i know that it could now i i do have a crisscross related question for you i have two uh first of all is that the stupidest pen name in the world no what's stupider um i can't think of one but i I actually think it's kind of (laughs) cool oh god you would uh second question is when i I feel like crisscross was a thing at dc for a while where he was doing a lot of sort of not like the highest profile books, but but then sort of slipped away. Was that just pre Flashpoint, the Crisscross era? I want to say that I've seen Crisscross. Crisscross was on regular titles before the New Fifty Two, and then during the New Fifty Two was just like a fill in. Yes, and and has been very absent ever since then. I think I think he's done some work for. Um, Valiant, maybe since then. Mm-hmm. Um, that just sounds right in my head. Uh, I'm looking this up right now. I I, I feel what... like like t- like 2006 or seven through 2011, Crisscross was more of a thing at DC than he's been in, d- in a decade. Yeah, yeah, I think you're. Let's see. If only Comic Book DB was still around, which made yeah. stuff like this so easy to look up. Final Crisis Aftermath Dance. Oh, okay. He does a lot of I it's it's a lot of fill in stuff. It's a lot of pre flashpoint stuff, but it's all like one, two issues. Mm-hmm. Didn't did an issue of Justice League Odyssey, weirdly enough. Oh, okay. Interesting. Yeah, it's it's just an issue here and there. Oh yeah, there's Archer and Armstrong, so some Valiant. Yeah, okay, that's the that's the valuable he was on. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I I don't know. I I I would certainly never say like Crisscross is one of my favorites or anything close, but I do like when I see his work, I think like, oh, this is like a a a neat shonen manga pastiche. I don't mind looking at it. I just don't so much digital rendering in this that really turns me off. Yeah, we have been pretty vocal on this show o- across a number of artists a- about not loving the digital uh additions that sometimes happen. Yeah. So, that's not to say that good art isn't made digitally. Almost all the comics we we read have digital art in some way or another, but when it's yes. over the top like this, I think it can When be it's over the top, when it's like really incongruent with everything else around it, 
yeah, as always, it's a tool that can be utilized really well, or it can stick out like a sore thumb. Right. All right, well, let's move on to our final book of the night, Supergirl, Woman of Tomorrow, number one, written by Tom King, illustrated by Bill Quist Evely. I think I'm just going to have to toss out a disclaimer to start this, where just I just don't get what Tom King is doing at DC anymore. It's not for me. I it doesn't it doesn't land with me. So I I really really truly dislike this on just about every level except for the art. But maybe that's on me. I want to put that out there. Maybe that's on me. But I can think of nothing less like Supergirl, the character we've known and loved for 70 years, than to find a planet with a red sun so she can get drunk on it. That is so <laughs> unlike anything that character is supposed to be. It's just it's just dumb and bad, and I, I have no idea why this exists. Vince? Um, I didn't hate this. Oh, I did. I know. I know. Yeah, I, I know you did. And I know I'm 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 a big I'm a big Tom King hater. Um, every day I wake up expecting to to be garroted by one of his deep state buddies. Um, I just some like I'm just accepted that that's my end. Say hi to point. the Omega Men. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he's gonna he's gonna uh, sing a. Uh, hymnal in my ear. Oh, as, Vince is dead. Oh. Ominously, yeah. Um, uh. No, I didn't hate this. I reserve the right to hate it two or three months from now. Yeah. <laughs> um, but no, I'm I'm going to be honest and I'm going to be fair to the writer whose work I mostly dislike. And I'm going to say that, like, yes, Brian, you're right. I rolled my eyes at the uh, Kara getting drunk bit. But then I then she's like, it's my 21st birthday. And then I was like, well, you know, we've all been there. It doesn't matter if this fits uh, if this fits her character or not, because it doesn't fit my character. And I will tell you that on my 21st birthday, I was. 12 sheets to the wind. So, you know, I, I, I again, Here's, I reserve the right. Okay. But, but just let me just make a, a slight point here. Did you, <laughs> who were you drinking with on your 21st birthday? Uh, a, a couple of close friends. Okay. That's the exact difference. If this was, you know, uh, if, if he's never going to listen to this, but if Multiversity founder Matthew Mayakoff was listening, I would tease him right now about giving the Brave and the Bold number 33 a perfect 10 score. But that issue. <laughs> was like a night out issue with Zatanna and Batgirl and Black Canary? That sounds right. Yeah. Uh but it it was like this girls night out issue and it was it was a really fun issue that did not deserve a 10.0. But um if if this <laughs> Jay story... Michael Straczynski? Yes, J- right? yes, JMS uh probably still has that on his resume. 10.0. One of the few 10.0s given up in Multiversity <laughs> Comics. Um <laughs> in its nascent years. Anyway, um, if this was like Kara with John or Cal, or they, they decided like we're going to go to this red sun planet together to do this, I then think that's a cute story. 
but her like going off and and being a mean drunk like for no reason other than it's her birthday i just it, it just it just it just rings so not true to me sorry i get, i'm going to be a downer no, about this no 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 that's that's fair i get that you're you make a very good point i i could look past it but but i totally get your point yeah absolutely i also think like I think uh, this is where I'm going to get in trouble because in order to enjoy this, I am giving Tom King the benefit of the doubt in two or three places. And the problem with that is that I've done that so many times before and it's blown up in my face. Like, for instance, there's a bit in the beginning where uh, this narrator character, uh, Ruth, Ruthie or Ruthie Kanye um, uh, is like telling us about basically spoiling the future of this of this adventure that they're going on by saying, you know, Supergirl kills the person I needed her to kill. And that that's right at the beginning of the issue. And it made me immediately go, ooh, I don't know about that. But then the more the the more I read it, the more I thought, okay, no, that's a red herring. It's going to play out it's gonna play out differently in some way we don't expect. Now, I just said that knowing that Tom King has screwed us over so many times with that exact thought. I there have been so many times I've read a Tom King story where I've said Oh, that's not, that is not how it's going to play out. There's some twist there and there's not, it's the most obvious, least sensical and it's heroes in crisis. Yeah, exactly. Right. Right. So what I'm saying is, you know, two or three months down the line when I'm hating this, it's going to make perfect sense. Um, but for right now I'm reading those things and I'm going, well, that can't, that can't possibly be how this is going to play out. We're something else is going to happen, or we're going to learn that it was a some kind of cosmic misunderstanding, or something. You know, there's going to be more to this than that. And you know, fool fool me once, fool me twice, uh, won't get fooled again, (laughs) as George W. Bush yes famously said. (laughs) Um. So I, I I did have fun with it because the, the, the thing I appreciated about it that I don't get from Tom King comics almost ever is that it's a, a fairly straightforward story aside from a little bit of annoying drunk dialogue. Not over the top, mind you. If I'm being fair, it's not terrible. There's a little bit of it. But aside from that, it's it's straightforward. It's it's not it doesn't have some of the ticks that really bother me about King's writing. And again, as soon as I open the next issue, someone's going to be singing a song or reciting a poem <laughs> or, you know, we're going to, yeah, we're going to have like a Yates passage or something. <laughs> but for now, for now, like that stuff is being kept under the rug. And I kind of appreciate it on that level. But the thing that really helps is that this book is so gorgeous to look at. It's yes. possibly Evely's 
best work to date. I wouldn't I go think that I've far. I think I've seen most of it, but I, it is excellent. I think. Yeah, it's it's gorgeous. Every page, every storytelling choice, every there's times where she pulls back and shows you the whole, you know, the like splendor of everything around the characters. And there's other times where there's these extremely beautiful and evocative, like close ups of dialogue between two characters or just even a silent moment between between the, the two characters. And it's just every artistic choice is just so beautiful to look at. Uh, I get, I'm ju- I'm just relieved that the dialogue didn't get in the way so much that that it was distracting. I guess maybe that's why I'm more positive about this for the time being. I will say that this is the best scripted Tom King comic in a while. In, yeah. in in terms of the dialogue not being, you know, Alfred is is this a good death? You know, none of that horse <laughs> that, shit. Yeah. Um I, I guess you know one of the things that I have been criticized by not I don't think by you specifically but by 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 listeners of this show a couple of times on Twitter is people get mad when I talk about how something is quote like not true to a character I guess I I, I can take that a little bit too far at times but I just feel like the reason that we have superhero comics that have been going on for eighty years is because we care about these characters and there has to be some consistency to how the characters are presented or else why are we bothering to follow these characters for three quarters of a century right and so i i just feel like there is so little about this that rings true to who kara is on any level that it would be it would be i guess better i'm putting better in, in gigantic quotation marks if this was like either in Elseworlds or an alternate reality or something. But we saw this Kara like in in Action Comics <laughs> a couple weeks ago and she was nothing like this. Nothing like this. And you know, I, I'm not trying to limit any writer's autonomy by saying you can't make a character a certain way or whatever. It just seems to me like this is King wants this King has a story he wants to tell and he doesn't really care that it's not a good Supergirl story. Mm-hmm. And that bugs me. Um, I will not be reading issues two and three of this, I don't think. Mm. Um, okay. I just It just does nothing for me, story-wise. I'll look at the the Evely art, but unless you and Zach tell me there's a reason I should be reading this, it's just it did so little for me, I'm, uh, I'm probably not going to read this again. Well, to be honest, I will only be reading it really for the art as well. I just think... Just to, just to reiterate before I say my piece, uh, you know, the story was inoffensive to me. And that is the thing I was worried about in wanting to enjoy this art because she, she is one of my favorite artists for sure in comics. And, uh, you know, I just dreaded how much of the dialogue or whatever I would actually have to skip. So I, I think, I you know it doesn't bother me or surprise me that you're not going to read issue two and three, but I hope you do look at the art. Oh, I'll definitely look at the art. Ain't nothing wrong with the art. I mean, mm-hmm. Evelie's fantastic, you know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's just a, uh, 
It's just a shame that Tom King has to do this to me over and over again. <laughs> just kidding. Uh, anyway, maybe he's uh, maybe I'm off the hook now. Maybe you're the one who's going to be garroted in in the night. I mean, he did glare at me at a comic con once. <laughs> so he's. <laughs> How dare you speak to me? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Was that a uh, Goldblum Secrets reference? Yeah. Okay. Of course. Good. I'm I'm very glad to know that uh, the the same Conan bits live rent free in both of our heads. <laughs> well, thanks for listening, yeah. folks. We we appreciate it as always. I'm sure that you are just as happy as uh, as. We are to have Zach back in a couple of days, so make sure to, to tweet at him at Wilker Fox to let him know exactly how happy you are that he's returned to the show. You can find me on Twitter at Brian is an app. You can find Vince hiding in his house, always changing where he sleeps, the hours in which he sleeps <laughs> to avoid the uh, the government bullet that has his name on it. So, and uh, and if if Brian Stack wants to live rent free in my house, I I feel like, <laughs> you know, if he needs a place, yes, any, anytime. He's given me so much over the years. So, yes, Brian Stack is uh, among the greatest humans who have ever, who's ever lived. So, uh, <laughs> if you don't know who Brian Stack is, uh, just just Google. Um, I I'll go with I know what your favorite is. I'll go with the Interrupter <laughs> for my favorite yeah. character. Um, yeah. Artie, Artie Kendall Artie Kendall, Ghost Crooner um, <laughs> Yeah <laughs> uh, Lobotomy Lou, we'll see you next time <laughs> Like I said, I'm imagining Bruce Wayne going down on Silver St. Cloud instead of going to therapy. <laughs>